Hi, this is Al Morris, CEO and founder of Bitcoin Network. If you're listening to the edge of NFT, you're absolutely at the forefront of NFT. So stay tuned and stay informed. And last but not least, make sure to check out this episode on Koi, where it will be minted as an NFT. Welcome to today's killer episode of Edge of NFT, brought to you by Koi. Our guest today, Al Morris, CEO and founder of Koi, is offering two huge giveaways, including 500 Koi tokens for 1,000 listeners and separately 5,000 USDT, a stylus pad, and lifetime access to Koi for one talented artist. Stay tuned to learn the ins and outs of Koi and how they are building an infrastructure for creators to easily earn from the attention they receive. You'll also find out how our guest today, if given the chance, would destroy the telecom industry and finally create internet service that actually works. Plus, find out how NFT artist People Pleaser is still making waves by partnering with Fortune Magazine for a special NFT drop. All this and more on this episode of Edge of NFT. Keep that podcast player running and don't forget to go to edgeofnft.com to sign up for our newsletter and stay on top of what's next. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's special collaborator episode features guest Al Morris, CEO and founder of Koi Network, a new ecosystem and economy based on attention rewards. Besides leading the Koi team, Al is an advisor to a number of other projects and actively works within the community to make a better internet through decentralized media. Al also co-founded WeTeachBlockchain.org, which helps others to learn and love blockchain. So much of Al's work is centered on openness to new ideas and bringing decentralized projects to life. Al, welcome to Edge T. Hi, Ethan. Thanks for having me. I was surprised listening through a few of the previous podcasts to see how many references to Burning Man kind of popped up. You got one for us, brother? Do you have your own reference? Or? Uh, no, I hear a lot of the similar stories in space, so it's fascinating how this keeps popping up. Have you been to Burning Man? No, we're going to save that for after Koi is long successful. I think, well, you're in luck. There's too. no Burning Man this year. Yeah. So they've canceled it. They got canceled by COVID? <laughs> you cannot go out there. You cannot even burn anything. I <laughs> know. Oh, it's terrible. I guess forest fires, right? You can visit in oh, Super well, World no, if you no, like. they're just the, the Bureau of Land Management in Nevada. Anyways, on to our interview. <laughs> yeah, Al, hey, it's great to have you here, man. We've been looking forward to this really for a long time um, since we got you on the schedule and um, um, really want to just dive in and, and maybe start at the beginning, man. Like for us, let's lay a foundation for our listeners. You know, what is Koi and, and why is it important? So the product that we've created with Koi is something that's kind of come together as a solution to a number of different things that we encountered along the way. So first we started looking at ways to build larger capacity systems on blockchain. Uh, that got us looking at storage systems. Storage led us to NFTs being a really interesting thing that we could play with. And that's led us to building the Finney wallet, which is a cross-chain NFT wallet. And kind of, we've just sort of snowballed a number of these things together into a framework that anybody can use to make really efficient, low-cost blockchain apps which is something that haven't really existed in the past, mainly because everyone's very focused on using one blockchain. We think we can kind of piece together a number of them and get the best pieces out of all the ones that uh, you use in the right way. And you know, just take the best little elements from each one. 
That's really interesting, Al. Let's go a little deeper into what Finny Wallet is all about and what is its role within the Koi ecosystem? Uh, sure. So there's kind of this, there's that saying that if you seek revenge, you're supposed to dig two graves. Well, if you want to build uh, cross-chain apps, you have to have a wallet that can hold multiple keys, right? You have to have as many keys as you have blockchains often. And so we build one wallet that contains all of your keys for all these different systems. The really neat thing is that we also have popularized a new standard called Atomic NFTs, which standardizes across all the different blockchains. So in addition to holding the keys that own these assets, we can also visualize them and show you all the different elements in a, a standardized interface, which for a lot of people is very helpful. Some people get stuck with that thing where they've got all of these different marketplaces, right? That's what's profound about what you're doing and, and why we sort of take took a liking to this project. We've had a lot of opportunities to collaborate with, with different teams on what they're doing. And we wanted to sort of, as one of our first collaborations, pick a company that's as forward-looking at the edge of NFTs as, as we like to be in. I think what you're doing here with interoperability is so interesting. It, it, it's not a surprise to us that, that Coinless took a liking to what you guys are doing and put you in their sort of accelerator program as a result. What was some of their feedback and what's, how's the community responded to what you're building? Uh, we got really good feedback from the Coinless Seed Day. We've been through um, three accelerators now, actually. So we're in the third one. We're now in uh, Sanctor Capital's accelerator, which is uh, more of kind of like a launch kind of phase. So we're working on more communications at this point. Earlier on, we were in the Outlier Ventures Accelerator as well, which is their base camp. They actually helped us put together a lot of the tech behind this project, introduced us to the Arweave guys along with a few other people. That's how we've coalesced the team around this. The Coinless process has been really interesting because it opened us up to a lot of the retail investment crowd, which we hadn't really been working with too closely before. So we went from being very quickly or very quickly went from being an artist and technologist focused product to trying to actually explain it as a, like a tokenomics model, which we knew it was a really useful thing, but putting it into kind of investor language was uh, an interesting experiment. I think we're getting a little bit better at it now. I think you guys are really, you know, showing, I think the, in terms of the DNA that you have, the core values that you have of openness and iteration, you know, it's just something that, that we're seeing from the most successful projects right now. These things are moving so quickly that if you just get laser focused on one particular path, you get left behind. So it's really great to see you guys evolve and hear the story. Yeah, our goal is really to help the user as much as possible, which means being flexible to wherever they need to go. So if there's a network that's a better solution, then we have to incorporate that product eventually. Yeah, to piggyback on what, what Josh said about, you know, our enthusiasm about the project, I'm trying to think if we mention it as much kind of on air as we do among ourselves. We're really about co-creation when it comes to the NFT space. And again, this particular project uh, makes us feel good to be helping to something to grow long term by collaborating with you and, and working together. We're really bullish on what you're doing. So next question on the block here is what are atomic NFTs? So there's various ingredients in what you do. We talked about the Finney wallet. We've talked about kind of the infrastructure that you're building. What role do Atomic NFTs play in all this? So I mentioned with the Finney wallet that the Atomic NFTs allow us to standardize the display of all of your NFTs across all these platforms. So really what that means is like, if you look at OpenSea or something Ethereum-based, they have 1155 or 721. Like They have these standards that explain what an NFT is in that context. And then if you go and look at a Tezos product like Hicket Nunk, that's a different NFT standard. And making these interoperable is actually really complicated. So we thought, you know, number one, we need to back these up to Artweave because most of the media files are not stored on chain otherwise. So we take the media file, we back it up along with a very kind of special smart contract we've created. It's a lot more efficient. We put that onto Artweave in a storage medium. And so now we've got the storage medium containing 
the media file along with the smart contract. And we incorporate all of the data from whichever chain it started out on. And so we meant this atomic NFT, which is one single thing that exists wherever you need it to go. And then you can take it through our bridges, which are compatible with this new standard of atomic NFTs, and you can take it to another chain. So you could take something from Tezos, put it onto our weave, and then move it back over to Ethereum and list it on OpenSea. And the best part is you can do this all really inexpensively because the way that we've structured Koi is to batch all these transactions together. So it's kind of, it makes your NFTs not only interoperable, but permanent, really hard to uh, destroy. Plus everyone in DeFi likes leverage. In a sense, you're giving people leverage on their NFTs because they can sell their NFT, but they can also earn tokens by just people liking their NFT and wanting to see it and sharing it with their friends. Oh yeah, that's the best part. Without actually setting it up as an atomic NFT, we can't track the attention on it. So once he registered as an atomic NFT, then Koi starts tracking it. And every single time that somebody looks at this individual file, you're going to get your Koi tokens. We give out at this point a thousand per day. It's going to be a million a day soon. And these tokens enable you to basically control our compute resources of our network, just like Ethereum does with gas. Let's go a little deeper on that, man. Attention economy, we're seeing it uh, really start to take form throughout the industry. You guys are really well positioned to go really deep on that. And, and I think evolve the entire ecosystem around attention and rewarding attention. Can you give us your thoughts on that? Like where, where what's the inspiration for it? Where do you see it going from here? Uh, so where it was inspired by is actually kind of the fun part of this because we accidentally added this to the whole system. We were just looking for a really good way to distribute the tokens. So we didn't want to create one of these systems where you have the node operators own the entire network. With Ethereum, if Ethereum grows, the people that get rewarded are the node operators who mostly own server farms. You know, they're not everyday people. They're certainly not content creators, right? Like the furthest thing from content creators most of the time. And so you create these networks that are at odds. And then, you know, that means that if you build a dApp on Ethereum in a very real way, you've just created another like oligarchy of tech giants that own the system that everybody else is publishing content into. So we wanted to create the opposite of that. So we wanted to give the tokens straight to the content creators. And then we just had to create a couple of spam prevention mechanisms. And that's how we came up with proof of real traffic. And where do you see like the attention economy going from here? Like more literal, like token rewards where you're, you're getting those rewards and then spending them within these economies or, you know, NFTs, we're seeing all kinds of different NFTs coming in about access, admission, the IP behind it. What's the next phase here that, that we don't see today? I think the simplest way to think about this is that it's a distribution tool and it's useful for incentives for growth for the most part. So like, imagine if you could tell people that, hey, we're building a new Twitter. And if you come now and you get a lot of followers, you're going to get a seat on, uh, on the board of directors. And you're going to be able to help us make the decisions that are going to shape this platform. That's a very real possibility now in like a digital asset sense that it wasn't really five years ago. Um, I think this is going to lead to kind of the fragmentation of the current attention economy, which is mostly owned by Facebook and Twitter and Google. And it's going to ultimately, hopefully, lead to a lot more of us having more equity in the internet where we publish all our content. The really cool thing about that and that equity that we get to own from like an ethical standpoint is that it also will probably translate into digital assets, which will trade very similarly to equities in the stock market. Very cool. And nodes are really at the centerpiece of all this in terms of the creator developing nodes and those nodes launching to power this ecosystem. When will these nodes launch and, and put the foundation in place? And what will that look like? Uh, so we already have a number of, we've, we're on testnet number three now. The nodes that we operate at the moment are mainly designed to batch transactions together. And so they require a customer. Right now we're the main customer because we're building all these dApps on the network. We're going to be open sourcing the kind of developer toolkit that will allow people to build their own applications in a month or so. 
and that'll probably coincide with our launch. And then following that, we'll start to allow large token holders to run their own nodes kind of progressively. So we want to let one or two at a time to make sure that we are not overwhelming the network with potential bad actors. Because if one of these operators gets hacked, for example, and their tokens are stolen, then it could unsettle the network temporarily. But our plan is to, within about a year of the launch, have it be more than 50% decentralized. Very cool. What are the, some of these potential applications look like? Don't want to reveal the ideas that have already been presented to you and give those folks an opportunity to create on your network. But what are the themes that you're looking, you expect to occur in terms of applications that people build onto Koi? Uh, so it kind of comes in a few different forms. So there's certain types of apps where people are willing to pay to get a better quality experience of viewing content. And so those tend to fall into the category of like a Spotify or a Netflix. And there's a lot of people looking at doing that on decentralized systems, uh, especially for copyright protection, but also for indie artists that don't want to go through the publishing groups. So like if you wanted to just publish to a decentralized SoundCloud, you know, you should be able to do that and earn Koi tokens. Uh, so we have a project looking at doing that right now. The, the other side of it, though, is on the more social side, and that seems to be a lot more ad-driven. So social signaling seems to be like very much an influencer game. We have no problem, actually, with people running ads on Koi, as long as they're transparent and we can see who's paying for them and kind of where the value is accruing. In fact, the proof of real traffic system that we've designed, it's probably an industry leading solution to tracking attention without having spam. So if you wanted to build an influencer network or an advertising network that's completely decentralized and transparent, we can help you do that right away. Uh, we've also talked to a handful of people about possibly doing decentralized search, but that's a little further off. It's interesting that you brought up ads and I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people strive to make ads that you want to watch regardless of the kind of product, right? Oh, this is an entertaining ad. That's cool to look at, right? So it's very interesting to see the possibility that somebody could make an ad that earns them money on the back end, people signing up for something or purchasing something. But at the same time, they might, they could earn Koi because they made a cool ad. That's pretty yeah, fascinating. It's, it's funny you should bring that up. That's actually in the Atomic NFT website that we have, atomicnft.com. There is a standard we'll be releasing, which is a slight tweak you can make to the NFT to turn it into an ad where somebody can pay a bounty that gets released to the creator of the NFT each time it's viewed by a certain demographic. Uh, very cool. Get very specific with it too. That's a cool thing. Our goal is really mainly to like to publish these standards so other people can come and then play with them. So, which is great, great ideas. I could use three more standards that we can publish this week. <laughs> a rapid fire. The cool thing about what you guys are doing, you're putting the, the time the, and the forethought and the care into building the foundation of something that's going to be really powerful, which is very cool. So we've talked a bit about the Koi token itself. You know, you can earn Koi through these NFTs already, and it drives this creator developer node economy. But people want to know about the launch. What's the latest on uh, the launch of the Koi token? Uh, so we'll be launching on a handful of exchanges in uh, like mid to late September. There's talk of trying to list on some of the larger ones. Uh, we're working on bringing in a couple of sort of key partners. The Really, the only hold up there is whether we can get more growth. So if everybody wants to list on a larger exchange, we need you to get your Finny wallet. We've gotten about 2,000 in the last week or so, and that's basically doubled our numbers. We just doubled our Twitter count as well. So I think we're in very good shape now. It's really odd. We, we were almost in stealth mode until about a month ago. And then we suddenly started promoting and we went from like, I think a couple thousand followers to now like 5,000 almost immediately. Very cool. That's amazing. And word on the street is there is uh, an airdrop coming for. We all love airdrops. So what's the scoop? What's the scoop on the airdrop campaign? Yeah, tons of airdrops. So, I mean, obviously the number one way to get Koi tokens is go publish some content on Koi.rocks and you'll get like a few hundred every day or two. But if you want more Koi tokens and you'd like to cash in, we're going to be doing an airdrop with you guys 
for, I think about $5,000 worth of Koi tokens, along with some NFTs and other prizes. And then in about, I think like a week or so, we're going to announce a number of other major airdrops and other campaigns that people can get in on. So if you're following us on Twitter, now is the time. We, as I mentioned, really want the Koi network to be very decentralized. So people who are stakeholders in the community early on, we really want to take on a role of like being able to run the network, earning budget tokens, running a node. Like we want this to be for you. Our node also will be able to be run on a smartphone pretty soon. So ideally, this is the kind of thing where you can get your tokens now and then you can set them up on your phone and you can do kind of like a yield farming sort of thing. You have that little like savings account that keeps growing. And like every morning you wake up and your phone was scraping the internet while you were sleeping, you know? That's really amazing, man. We had an opportunity to get a demo of your product from Kayla and we'll post that on our YouTube channel for folks. Hopefully it will make it a little less intimidating to take your suggestion to get into this. But what's your advice for creators and potential creators that maybe have been apprehensive to get into the NFT side of things? I'm sure a lot of them come to you and they're like, ah, I don't know. Do people want this? Should I post it? You have a blockchain education background. How do you have those conversations and, and what should those folks be thinking in terms of going about this journey? I think it all depends on motivation. I know of two main groups of people. There's the ones that find it technically intimidating. And then there's the other ones that are just thinking like, why would I do this? Why does it matter? Whatever, right? To the why does this matter group, the best thing about Arweave is that it's permanent and it's decentralized across like thousands and thousands of computers. So once you put your media in there, there's a very good chance that it will survive beyond my lifetime, most certainly probably beyond all of our lifetimes. I mean, the goal is that our we will exist indefinitely into the future. And it's designed as an economic engine to achieve that goal. So that means that basically you're making a mark on history. And if you do it with Koi, it costs like a tenth of a penny to upload your files. So the second side of it would be if you don't think people like your stuff. And, you know, on that front, I, I would say check out my profile. I mean, I make all kinds of weird stuff for my NFTs. I just kind of throw them out there. I sent my sister one. I made her a piece of graphic art and I put it on like ice cream cake and I had it delivered to her for her birthday two weeks ago. And that was really fun because now she's a part of history and she could have this ice cream cake and it was a big, exciting thing at the office. You know? So much fun. That, that reminds me, my girlfriend for her brother's graduation put like, I think a space on a, a digital pizza from a guy on Fiverr. And that could have been an NFT that people could enjoy for forever. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. I mean, it still could be if, if he wants to mint it. Right. And you always hear about the original person that bought a pizza with the Bitcoin or whatever, right back in the day. So, you know, there's, there's this tide of pizza in the history of blockchain. So. Well, I think guys are going to throw some edge of NFTs on, onto Koi and uh, have some fun here. I mean, by all means, we also have a white glove service too. So if people aren't like feeling up to the challenge themselves, we can help them do all the uploading. Our goal is really to help people kind of make their mark like this. The other thing I should say too, is in the very near future, I think copyright law is going to start incorporating blockchain as a very big form of like trademark protection and that kind of thing. So there's a real possibility that if you trademark things now using a blockchain, even if it feels very loose and kind of un, like not meaningful, it could actually matter in the future and it might actually protect your assets as well. These are great things for folks to think about and hopefully we'll get folks to take the next step, take the leap. So Al, you've been in the space for a while and you seem like you've been very methodical about creating something that really adds value to the ecosystem. When we take a step back, what are the NFT projects and platforms either existing or yet to be formed that stand out to you as game changers? They'll be here in three, five, 10 years and more, assuming that Koi will be right by their side. Sure. I think on the platform side of things, I think what they're doing on Tezos with Picket Nunk is pretty great. I like that they've kind of curated this really cool community over there. 
The other side of it, though, is with the tech side of things. And I think the really funny thing that people don't realize about this is almost all of these ecosystems will probably be here in 10 years. They might not be incredibly active, like people might not really remember the names, but they'll all be there on a blockchain, very likely. It's very unlikely that Ethereum goes anywhere. So probably all of it will still be there, I would imagine. But in terms of like game changers, you mentioned Tezos. Any other game changers in the NFT space? And if you're a closet NFT gamer, you can reveal yourself now. (laughs) I haven't gotten too much into the NFT gaming side of things. Some of the stuff that's happening with like the kind of crypto voxels metaverse is very cool. One of our artists slash advisors, Kevin Abosh, had a gallery that someone created in the metaverse for him. And so you could go around in 3D and use this metaverse gallery to view the art. And if you turn to your right, you could hear the person that was over there. If you turn to the left, you could hear the person over there. It's kind of a very interesting experience. It was nice to go to an art gallery. And I haven't been to one in probably two and a half years since COVID started. You can be like Oz and listen in to all the folks admiring your art and say, actually, that was not what I intended to state with that piece of art. (laughs) That would be fascinating, actually. And if you are out west, you got to check out Bright Moments, right? The NF, uh, the, the IRL NFT gallery in Venice, right? Very cool. Yeah, super fun. Hey, man, this has been great. And for our listeners, please do check out that demo. It's super easy to use Koi to upload and, and share your NFTs. So spend some time there, a couple of minutes, and you'll be off and running in no time. Hello, Explorer at the Edge of NFT and many other things, I'm sure. Put down that dish you're watching. Take a quick pause in your run. Grab your phone off the dashboard and pull over. Go to edgeofnft.com superworld. Here's why. You're not just a spectator, but someone who wants to dive in and co-create new exciting worlds together with trailblazing leaders like our guests. And the latest, greatest opportunity to do so that you need to know about is in Superworld, an augmented reality virtual world consisting of more than 64 billion virtual land plots mapped geographically to the actual surface of our beautiful home planet Earth. As we speak, bold new pioneers are literally breaking digital ground, snatching up 100 meter by 100 meter plots of virtual NFT-backed land, land which entitles them to a share of all revenues generated on their Superworld plots. This means that as Superworld grows in population and activity, you as virtual landowner can actually earn a share of all advertising, gaming, commerce, analytics, and data associated with your plot. It's pretty cool. If you want to join us in owning a part of this special new world, visit our referral link edgeofnft.com slash superworld to join us in Superworld as a member of the Edge of NFT family. And because we are so very excited to welcome you, every fifth person to join us using this link will receive some really cool Superworld swag, compliments of Superworld and Edge of NFT. Visit edgeofnft.com slash superworld to get started, support the show, and show your enthusiastic appreciation for Superworld, our groundbreaking sponsor. Would love to learn a little bit more about you personally and in, in, uh, in some of your experience in buying and selling things and some other fun stuff. Um, we call it the next segment, Edge Quick Hitters. So Edge Quick Hitters are a fun, quick way to get to know you a little better. There are 10 questions and we're looking for just a short, single or few word response, but feel free to expand if you get the air. All right, ready to jump in? Okay, number one, what's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I think probably I bugged a family member to give me money so I could buy uh, a pizza with friends. Like we were like watching a movie or something like that. Like I actually ordered a pizza. I remember ordering a pizza because it was a whole experience of trying to remember where I lived and I had to give them the address. I think I was like 10. 
I just hope you didn't use Bitcoin to buy that pizza. No, thank God. <laughs> I don't think my parents knew about Bitcoin. I was also quite a bit too young at the time, I think. Great foundation for uh, fundraising for companies, bugging your family members and others to give you money. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Number two, then, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Uh, that's a good one. I think probably landscaping services to neighbors and so on. I was going around with the lawnmower when I was like 10, around the same time as the pizza incident. Nice. Putting in smellable grease. That's great. I'm trying to read. You're Canadian, right, Al? Yep. Yeah, I grew up in Halifax. So I don't know. Nice. Coast. Trying to read like a Canadian bent to these answers. <laughs> it's it's pretty normal up here. It just kind of looks like suburbia. There's uh, some maple leaf stuff like, pretty much everywhere. Get a lot of nice. maple syrup. I'm waiting for the hockey answer. All right, go ahead. Next one, Jeff. We will continue. <laughs> Number three, uh, what is the most recent thing you purchased? Most recent thing. That's, that's interesting. This morning, I bought a bunch of breakfast food for the office. The Koi company bought lunch for everybody. That's very cool. Is it now I'm in Venice and it's all about the breakfast burrito. Is that, is that what we're talking about here? Oh no, this was a, like a fruit platter and some cupcakes and some grapes. We're, uh, we're very light in the mornings here. Not Timmy Hortons over there. No, no, no Tim Hortons Tim. this morning, but we do often get the Tim Hortons in the morning. That's the key. That's a staple in Canada. Breakfast cupcakes. Breakfast cupcakes. They had red velvet cupcakes. And <laughs> Let's not like lie that. and call them muffins. You know what I mean? Just just go straight for the cupcakes. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Number four. What's the most recent thing you sold? Most recent thing I sold? I guess it's probably something to do with Koi. I kind of sold someone an NFT recently, I guess. You just sold me on the idea of a cupcake for breakfast. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> breakfast cupcakes. Easiest sell in the world. Awesome. Number five. What is your most prized possession? That's an interesting one. I've got this teeny tiny little Buddha that my dad brought me back from a trip when I think he was in India when I was like four or five years old. It's like literally it's the same size as my thumbnail, but it's made of bronze. So it's completely indestructible. Wow. That is very cool. Sort of like a, uh, an NFT on your platform. You should, you should mint that. That's an interesting point. I will have to yeah, make it doubly indestructible. Nice. Number six, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience, it's currently for sale. What would that be? If you could simultaneously buy up all of the supply, all of the telecom service in the world from the raw providers, you could lock out all the telecom carriers, get rid of Comcast and replace it with like a reasonable company. Nice. So it's like AT&T's monopoly of the past. Yeah. You just take over the, all their bad monopolies and replace them with one good monopoly. You know, we, nice. we have our quote for the episode. But, yeah. Yeah. Koi cast. You heard it here. Let's go talk to Congress about that. All right. Number seven, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I couldn't say. I don't know if they'd want them. They're mostly tinged with too much concern. It'd probably be good to get some people that don't litter. I think I'd like to pass that one on. Not littering. Absolutely no littering. See, that's very Canadian. Yeah, that's there we very go. kind. Very, very kind. Gone through eventually. And I guess then the next question was, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? writing software until five o'clock in the morning. Just ax that one entirely. Well, my children will go to bed by midnight. Nice, nice. Perfect. Okay, number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Just before this, I was waiting to talk to you guys because Kayla was on. So I was talking to Kevin Abosh about his NFT bridge that we're working on for him. Kind of uh, working on one of our white glove kind of advisory service type things. We're uh, working on helping him bring a collection over from Ethereum where he's fractionalizing all of his NFTs and then he doubly fractionalized them. So we've got like two layers of fractionalization and then they go back and forth across these bridges. And then some of them get minted on one side and some of them are on the other side. 
and they have to all talk to each other. But I think we figured it out. That's just about cool. anyways. How does that white glove service work? I'm someone helping me with some white gloves. Yeah. I mean, tell us about the cool projects you're working on and we'll try and help you. That's pretty much the gist of it. The list gets very long sometimes, but we're pretty much here and happy to help. We've built all these tools so that people can try them out. So talking through what someone's trying to achieve with them is how we kind of learn. I was on Darren Klein's podcast, the Cointelegraph podcast, like last week, and we were talking about some dynamic NFT type stuff. But I don't know if he's announced anything yet on that, so I'll keep quiet. But basically, every time that we talk to somebody, they've got a new idea. And then we get to work on how we can build that. And it ends up building the whole ecosystem quite a bit bigger. And we create that into an open source template that we can give out to people. Amazing. Well, we definitely have some fun things coming up. So we'll have to talk to you offline about it. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. So last question, number 10, what are you going to do next after the podcast? Maybe a coffee and then a nap. And the caffeine nap always works really nice. So you get the espresso shot, 20 minutes of sleep, and then you wake up and you're ready to go. I've heard that works. That is a growth hack that we're very familiar with. One of the, I don't know if he invented it, but the sleep doctor, Michael Bruce, is a, a friend of ours. And that's his favorite hack to help people get sleep during the day. Sounds counterintuitive, but it works amazing. Oh, it's miraculous, especially if you're uh, doing stuff in the evening. We like to front load the week. So we tend to do like 12 to 16 hours on Monday and Tuesday. And then the rest of the week, we kind of just wait for everybody else to get back to us. I've got a hack for everyone. Breakfast cupcakes all day long. There we go. Red velvet. See, I think it's going to work. You get the cheesecake <laughs> frosting on the top. Delicious. <laughs> all right. Very should nice. we, uh, have we got one more? Yeah, one more. No, that was, that was that number was 10. We should add a bonus one here or there or something to surprise people, but, uh, but not today, Alan. You're off the hook, man. Thanks so much yeah, for, for sharing sure. that with us. So we have hot topics coming up next. We're going to talk about what's the news of the day and maybe get a little bit of input from Al here. Here's someone I've actually interviewed for a convention, a little headline about the NFT artist People Pleaser with an article about how crypto changed her life. So she was just as excited. She, she was able to make a bit of money while also learning about DeFi. But through word of mouth, her reputation for making cool animations quickly spread. So nice little overview of, of what's going on in, in art and NFT. Um, I know particularly when I got a chance to interview her for a panel for the DeFi Summit, we talked a little bit just about well, what I think is cool is how this whole space is integrating artists and finance, you know, and there's been a bit of that, I think, in the past. But as someone who came from a musical bank background and hung out with bandmates that didn't care as much as I did about thinking about finance and investment and so forth. It's really cool to have a very specific platform in NFTs where there's sort of a natural desire to learn about finance as well as practice your art and get involved. Yeah, man, I think, so one, it's cool to see people, please, just continue to crush it and just be in such high demand for her art and her style. But I think it's also just like a great like, role model for people that are interested in translating work that they have been thinking about doing or have done in the past that they didn't really know how to distribute or maybe even couldn't distribute without the platform of NFTs and the entire ecosystem that's evolving. So yeah, it's just excited. I'm excited to see her continue to crush it and see who follows in her footsteps. I love that story too. The concept of just kind of gradually getting into this online publishing thing. And then the neat part is that you can get into it like that you might get in on a few airdrops, you get a couple of lucky breaks, and maybe you actually end up earning like a crazy amount of money in a very short period of time. This has happened to a handful of people I've talked to, you know, you just like kind of start publishing, start participating in the ecosystem, and then boom, it's a career, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We had Ellie Pritz on the show last week, and she just said she had to do it and not overthink it too much. And now she's helping other artists do that as well. And I think it's, it's very easy to grip the wheel and, and not realize that 
inertia is your biggest enemy. Yeah, let's hop on to the next hot topic here. And by the way, that that last article we mentioned was at Fortune and written by People Pleasers. Very cool to read uh, read through that if anybody's interested. Next headline here, NFT game Axie Infinity crosses milestone over 1 billion in sales. Uh, the play-to-earn game Axie Infinity, uh, which features colorful NFT characters, gamers purchased to engage in battle with others. According to NFT analytics site CryptoSlam, the game has recorded over 1 0.04 billion in all-time sales with over 2.4 million transactions. Yeah, we talked about it in Hot Topics several weeks ago, and it wasn't a passing fancy. Axie Infinity is huge, and it's sort of the go-to call-out when you're talking about NFT gaming and what kind of success can happen there. Have you been following Axie at all and what's going on there? Yeah, I think one thing that they did amazingly is that they, um, they made the game really suitable for lower bandwidth locations. And also for people that don't necessarily have like two or 300 bucks that they want to put into an NFT, both of which had been kind of outside of the, the ecosystem for a while. You know, you had people storing like really big files on IPFS and then you'd go to visit OpenSea and it would take forever to load. And that just absolutely kills it if you're talking about like any Indonesian country and then a whole swath of Africa. Like if your file size is more than a megabyte, then you can't actually view it. So it's great that they actually have managed to succeed so quickly too. Yeah, I actually heard heard kind of a similar concept that you're talking about. I believe it was a book by Peter Diamandis. He's kind of making this note that people look for markets where the individual transaction size is particularly large, right? Because then you have to have fewer customers and sort of seems easier to build a business around that. And that's why sometimes often these markets that you're mentioning get neglected, you know, like Africa or you know, developing countries where people don't even have that much money to spend. But he made this interesting point, what you're echoing, which is that, in some, if you can onboard a bunch of people who don't have a lot of money to spend, but you find a way for them to be able to spend it, you can actually sometimes make even more than you would in a project that seems like it would be more, more lucrative. So yeah, that's just a really great point. And in general, we've seen in the projects that we look at, the folks who are making it easier are the ones that are really going to explode things. Yeah, man, I think Axie is a great story. Also, I think we were talking to Yatsu of, you know, Animoca and we were just talking about it and how those guys were, were based uh, almost entirely out of Vietnam. Right. And wasn't a lot happening out there. People weren't sure about the project or the team necessarily. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not a hotbed for a lot of projects, but great work, hard work, great design, you know, building community, creating a narrative that, that jives with people. It wins out in the long run in a lot of cases. And it's cool to see these guys succeed. Yeah, absolutely. What they've done is incredible and we have to get to know the story more. So that's a nice tangent to the fact that we just booked them as a guest on an upcoming show. So I'm not even sure if Jeff and Ethan knew that yet. Things move pretty quick in the world of Edge of NFT. So we've got them coming on the show. We'll announce that date in the future. I know a lot of our listeners have wanted to hear more about Axie Infinity. So your wish is our command. Awesome. I was just about to say, we're so lucky to have such great guests. But then I was like... We're not lucky. Just hustles, man. He gets us awesome guests. <laughs> so we're both lucky and we have a great team here. So very privileged to be talking to great folks like you, Al, who are working on groundbreaking projects. Next item on the agenda here. Messi has an NFT of his own. One-of-a-kind art for a one-of-a-kind player. Lionel Messi, who himself is a one-of-a-kind, an artist of our time, and whose playing contracts continue to deal in silly money, is coming out with his own. Art like football, of course, for those unfamiliar with Messi, is a soccer player, is eternal. Messi said in a statement provided exclusively to ESPN, 
art is also evolving and digital art NFT is another way to connect with fans. That's why I'm happy to be launching my first official NFT. Yeah, that's great. And it, every, it's spreading farther and wider. And the folks who already have the name are beginning to see, hey, I got it. I got to jump into this. Yeah, man. I mean, Messi is like, you know, he's Messi, right? Like one of those most popular high earning you know, athletes in the world. And, you know, for people that have that following already, that have that community already making the jump into NFTs and doing so successfully, you know, it's, it's that much e easier. That built-in base is there. And I would expect nothing less though, you know, from these folks. Again, their role models have a massive group of people that follow every single thing that they do. So I think it's important for those folks to get out there and do that and, you know, maybe inspire other people to do some cool things and follow in his footsteps. But it's different, right? It's definitely different if we're talking about a messy launching something versus um, an artist that's just getting on their feet, trying to figure things out. You know, I think there have to be platforms for both. And it's part of what we've been talking about today. So it's a really important step to ensure that, um, you know, other cool things, other undiscovered people get a platform as well. Yeah. I've been noticing how quickly folks that are in sports, for example, have been, or at least certain of them are able to move into this type of tech space really quickly. Right. And it's because maybe they have the support of connections that they've built through their fame or something like that. Clearly, Messi's not looking into NFT technology itself too deeply, right? He's probably got people that he's working with on a team that are helping him. So that's that's, that's a great point, though, Jeff, too. Like there are these platforms where you don't necessarily need a tech team or connections to get started and make something happen and get your feet wet. It's kind of interesting the story as well. I've followed a number of these like pro athletes and musicians who've kind of launched their own NFTs. There's a really interesting philosophical alignment that most people don't notice, which is that the person who plays a sport as a professional doesn't play one game at a time. Like they're not trying to win each game. They tend to be in it for like the long term. I mean, like, like you said, the game's infinite, right? And that's actually probably one of the main reasons I think that memorabilia in sports is so significant because people think of it more like history than like a competition. And so there's this really interesting alignment there. It also is kind of the really neat thing, like back to this idea of being able to make history. Like we all actually get to write history now and it won't be lost. Whereas, you know, a hundred years ago, you could have written anything you wanted down, but it probably would have been destroyed. Like there's very little chance that your great grandchildren would have kept your scrapbook, you know? But now we absolutely will. It can be done. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I keep thinking of this example, especially when I think of Koi and, and people paying attention to things and, and having it monetized. So football or soccer or whatever, it's a great example of something where the monetization strategy has been figured out. People like to watch this for whatever reason. Guys running around in a field, kicking a ball around, running into each other, whatever. They like to watch it. And then there's this whole monetization strategy that's been built around it, stadium and managers and all this stuff. But I always think of the example when I lived in New York. And there'd be break dancers out on the street and they'd do this really cool stuff or they'd even be on the subway, right? And they'd be watching intently and clapping and supporting. And then they'd wrap up their act and they'd have to kind of make this really awkward thing where they'd actually walk around and ask people for money. Hey, you were paying attention, right? Like, how about if you give a couple bucks? But it's like really awkward, right? And I love how there can just be an automated way to reward what people think is interesting. Their eyes are on it. And so let's reward it in a really automated way that's not awkward or uncomfortable. Yeah. So last thing on that note, we're really excited about this as a way to fund NFTs as well. So some NFTs, if you create something that you want to last forever, it might require some kind of maintenance or it might require somebody to take care of it, right? Even if it's, you know, maybe it's a DAP you want somebody to take care of, right? So the attention rewards accrue with the creator of the content. 
but the creator of the content can delegate them to a DAO or something like that. So the, one of the ideas that we're really excited about, which we've just implemented with the forever flower that we've created called the narcissist. And the narcissist basically, as it gets attention, refills its own bounty pool, which incentivizes somebody to come along and call a smart contract spending our weave tokens to update the latest state. And so this flower can exist on the internet and will consistently earn koi tokens so it can pay out a bounty to somebody who does something for it. And it's just going to live there by itself now forever. Mm, it's fascinating. I love the creativity. Yeah, so you can do this for just about anything now. Uh, and you can accrue these rewards and you can make something that lives forever. It's beautiful. Yeah, man, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm so glad we're able to cover it. And, and really, you know, for our listeners who weren't familiar with Koi before, a real opportunity to, to dive in and hear a little bit more about it with you. So, man, really appreciate you, you joining us here today and spending this time. Before we, we wrap up, though, a couple of things, I guess, first, where can listeners go to learn more about you and Koi and, and other projects that you're working on? So I don't have many other projects at the moment. Koi takes most of my effort. We've basically put it together in about six or eight months. We've basically put everything that you could possibly want on our Discord, though. So you can get the Discord link from koi.network. So that's K-O-I-I dot network. And Discord link is in there. The Discord's probably also the most active place where you can meet our community. So there's probably usually three or 400 people active in there at any given time. About 3,000 members, I think, or so. I'm also on there. So if you ever have questions and you want to come in, you can usually find me even, and I'll try to reply to messages as much as I can. Aside from the actual website, on there is also a blog, a lot of content in there. We try to update the news page with things like this. So if you're staying abreast of us and you want to catch the latest podcast or maybe you prefer videos, a lot of that's in there as well. Awesome. Appreciate that, man. And so word on the street is we do have some sweet giveaways for our listeners as well. We touched on a little bit of that earlier, but... I uh, wanted to line everything up for our listeners. Uh, we had a couple things happening. So do you want to give the uh, the scoop on that, fellas? Yeah, so Koi has been very generous and doing a engagement campaign with us for some Koi tokens that folks can earn a number of different ways. There'll be a contest link that we'll share on social media after this show that will go into the details. And folks will have a chance to experiment with the ecosystem to earn some extra koi. Al, anything to add there? Not much, except that the more you interact, the more koi you'll also earn for your interactions. So do more stuff, get more tokens, and stay tuned because there's a bunch more of these coming. But thank you for letting us be on the edge of this opportunity with our listeners. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it as well. You guys will have a chance to get in there and, and get an airdrop before a lot of other folks will even know what Koi is. So we like to keep you guys in the edge of NFTs. And this is just another example of that. So thanks, Al. Love the pun too. Perfect. Well, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on the starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that'll make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Want to help co-create Edge of NFT? Got guests you want to see on the episode? Questions for hosts or guests? An NFT you'd like us to review? Drop us a line at contact at edgeofnft.com or tweet at us at edgeofnft to get in the mix. Lastly, be sure to tune in next week for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today.